Welcome everybody, I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying healthy, I hope you're staying happy, and I hope you're staying home. A little bit later on in the show, I'll introduce you to Kathy Reichs. She is the best-selling author of the incredibly successful Bones series of books. We'll talk about her new book, A Conspiracy of Bones. Up first, though, actor and comedian Sean Cullen swings by to talk about his new role in the animated film The Willoughbys. We were on Zoom, so I started off by asking him how he's making out in isolation. Well, it's all right. You know, I'm kind of a homebody anyway, so I don't mind it that much, but it's getting a little tiring. I'm, I'm just getting to the point where I'm bored sitting in and you get up in the morning and you go, well, what am I doing today? Pretty much nothing. Yeah. But I've, I've done this thing called the COVID-19 Online Comedy Fest. I love uh, it. I've oh, had so much fun watching these uh, and sharing them. Uh, it's fantastic. And I thought that it was a really interesting way of adapting to what is now our normal. Yeah, well, in, in I can't perform for people. Mm -hmm. I can't go out to them. I, when, when the cancellation came in, I was doing the uh, Kingston Canadian Film Festival. And as you know, I'm in a film called The 20th Century. Uh, brilliant by Ma uh, Matthew Rankin's first uh, feature that's been nominated for CSAs and uh, was best first feature at uh, TIFF. So they were doing it at the, they were area showing it at the uh, Kingston Canadian Film Festival. So I drove down to Kingston on the 12th of March, got there, did my sound check, and then they said, you can go home now because the entire film festival's canceled. Wow. So I drove back home and on the way home, I thought, oh, I've got to do something. This is going to be a problem, you know, and people are going to be in their homes. So I thought, well, I don't have a lot of marketable skills, really. I can't save lives, but I can make people a little less bored. So four times a day, I do posts on the COVID-19 Online Comedy Fest on my Twitter, and Facebook, and uh, what do you call that thing? Instagram. And so people have responded well to it. I haven't gotten any you know, cease and desist uh, emails yet. So it's all good. Well, I looked it up uh, today. And I was met with uh, batocular articulation. Yes. Was the headline that I saw today. And it's very funny. Oh, good. Well, yeah. I'm just running, you know, I'm running out of things to talk about. So <laughs> I've gotten down to my butt, my buttock muscles and their articulation, articulate abilities. And so today I was thinking of, I've strengthened, I don't get a lot of fitness uh, opportunities stuck in the house. So uh, I'm getting naked covering myself with olive oil and then getting in the tub and trying to get out without using my hands or arms, which uh, is a great core workout. And then I'm using my buttocks to manipulate things, uh, catch balls, uh, uh, <laughs> crush uh, bits of whatever I can find. Walnuts, crush nuts, and also paint portraits of uh, famous historical leaders. So it's, it's been fun. My favorite thing to come out of that is your character, Buford T. Violence. Buford T. Violence is inspired by uh, I love drill sergeants, mm -hmm. just yelling how they just insult people. So uh, it's kind of all the way back to Full Metal Jacket, uh, yeah. that guy. So he just gets angry at people for doing what they're doing. He'd have a field day on people in the States now trying to. The latest I saw was uh, a man with a sign that said, Sacrifice the weak. And you're just like, you first. Yeah. yeah. You first. 
Not just the week of um, week of body, week of mind. Away you go. How do you think that uh, Buford T violence would be responding to being inside all the time? This is an outrage. <laughs> I am not happy with what's going on right now. This is not what I signed up for, but I'm going to do it because it's be tough. Get going when the going gets tough. Anyway, something like I love that. Buford. I, I, I need more Buford T violence in my life, I think. I'll get on it today. <laughs> As you sit around the house, is there, is there something that you, that you missed? For me, the first thing that I missed was I play uh, pickup hockey like four or five times a week, and that's my fitness. So uh, I'm not able to do that at all. And that, I miss the camaraderie and the stupid jokes in the dressing room and the naked men. So <laughs> that I'm missing. Uh, just get, when you say, oh, you know what? I need Allen keys. And then you're just like, how can I accomplish this incredible feat of finding Allen keys at this time? You know, and it just seems ridiculous that, and, and th those kind of things bother me. Most of the time I write, I'm writing on a, I'm working on a new novel and uh, I've been trying to do that every day. You know, it's kind of like a muscle you have to exercise every day. So I've been forced to do that, uh, to fill my time and watching a lot of Netflix watching a lot of movies. Is there anything uh, that you've loved that, that was a surprise to you? Have you seen uh, The Man Who Killed Hitler and then The Bigfoot yet? No, I have not. <laughs> but I hear it's tremendous. I, I thought it was a joke when I first heard it. And I think I responded to you on Twitter about it. And you said, oh, you yes. got to watch it. And then I went around to some of my film critic friends and said, have you ever heard of this thing? And they all said, it's so good. It's so well, fun. it's... It's really intriguing. And what's great about it is it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And, but it's really well done. And, and the acting is amazing. Well, Sam Elliott's in it, right? Yeah, he's incredible. And there's a scene, there's, there's a love story, like his love interest. And, the, and the, it's so sad and moving. Like, it's incredible. Like, I was just like, wow. What is this doing in this movie? I don't even know what's going on. But it was it was good. It was well, excellent. Was Although my choice, if the the only person who could kill the Bigfoot is a man who killed Hitler, probably. Mm -hmm. well, that that will be Sean Cullen's pick of the week here on in isolation with for something that you probably haven't seen because I would guess that ninety percent of the people watching this right now have never seen it. Well, it's right up there with Troll Hunters. You're listening to my conversation with actor and comedian Sean Cullen. In the before time, you would spend a lot of time on the road. You would be traveling, uh, crossing the country. Uh, do you think when all this is said and done, that the next time you go to get on a plane, uh, that you're going to feel differently about it? Do you think that it will change your thinking about doing the amount of travel that you would have done before? Well, yeah, I mean, I always have kind of, I don't get sick very much. And I've always felt, you know, you, there's part of me that has always thought that we really protect our kids to a dense degree and sanitize them and everything like that. And it kind of leaves them open to uh, infections and things that are like COVID-19. You know, these are things that are uh, a result of our over our helicopter kind of approach but I've always thought that planes were filthy and ridiculous 
when you're all sealed in there with everyone's farts and spit and coughs and babies pooping on the floor and everything like that. It's not, it's not really, and then they jam you in together. It's like it's gotten closer and closer. But I just think back, you know, every culture and every generation goes through its thing. And my, with me, I think growing up was smoking. My father smoked like an animal and he would take us into the car and we'd go to the, you know, uh, getting ready to go to hockey practice in the morning, roll up all the windows in the freezing cold and then sit there and smoke four or five cigarettes while the car warmed up. Yep. Uh, you'd go to like when I went back to London uh, a few years ago to to do comedy shows, I went into the clubs and everyone was smoking and I was like, this is Crazy. It's so weird when you see people smoke inside now in public, isn't it? No, when you see like a, uh, or you're on a plane and you see it's an old plane and it's got uh, ashtrays in the hand and the armrest. <laughs> like, I just can't imagine it. And even when they had a smoking section, it was just like those seats you're smoking. Yeah. yeah. And but the entire thing is sealed. Yeah. And, and those seats were kind of always uh, sort of in the middle, as I remember. So the people sitting in front of you and in back of you were still getting it. And it's it, and people smoking in restaurants and like, it was crazy. But I mean, this, I mean, viruses are the new thing, you know, it's, and I don't think this will be the last one, you know, how we deal with this will hopefully give us protocols for how do we deal with the future. But yeah, just traveling all together and being around other people. It's going to be interesting to see how people, if people come back to live performance, if they go to concerts, if they go to sporting events, and what will there be a, a, an immediate return to it? Or will people slowly have to be coaxed back? You have a movie out. Weird. The Willoughby's. It's really fun. And it's a strange film, like it's a strange story about these kids who are a family, uh, the Willoughby's, and they live in this kind of museum almost. And they're, they're, uh, they decide that they're, they could probably raise themselves better than their parents could do it. So they arrange for their parents to go away on an extended trip and then are alone in the house. They're kind of hoping that their parents die while they're away as well. They have, they have. I'm not supposed to, to dwell on that in these <laughs> interviews. <laughs> okay, I won't. I won't. All right. it. But I loved it. But um, it's kind of got a little dark edge to it. And I love that because I have often thought that so much uh, kids entertainment plays it so uh, safe. I don't think that we trust that kids can take a little dark humor. Well, my what I love in, in the shows that I love are in the films are like Chitty Chitty Bang Bang yeah. and dark stories. And I think kids love to see children on their own, left to their own devices, <laughs> overcoming these different stupid adults, you know, who put them in these terrible situations. Uh, I think... Uh, kids can handle a lot more of that than, than we let on. You're listening to my interview with actor and comedian Sean Cullen. He stars in The Willoughby's now on Netflix. And you know, there's there's sweet stories like, you know, Moana or whoever like that, but they, they're always like their parents have died or they're alone. <laughs> That's right. You know, it's it's the weird thing about Disney. It's like, oh, mom died in the first reel. And now she's, you know, Bambi's living on her own. <laughs> But uh, 
I think kids can handle a lot more darkness than we give them credit for, you know, and, and they gravitate to it, like his Dark Materials, which is another great series I watched, and the books are amazing. And uh, those things, I think, stick with kids so much more, and uh, they end up going back to them as adults. And I, I think if you make something that children and adults can watch together and, you know, if you make something like the Willoughby's, it's funny for adults who are watching this situation and know that the archness of the situation and the kids who are accepting it at face value, it's good for, and fun for both, you know, and it becomes a classic for that reason. And you've written a, a, a lot of books for uh, kids and, and YA books, I guess the young adult books, and you have that same kind of feel I love, and Hamish X goes to Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, there's the Orphan Disposal uh, Agency, the ODA. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, idea. they're the villain in the piece, and they're these people who take children who are unwanted and unloved and repurpose them for, uh, you know, to get them work for people who are in unscrupulous employers and people who need children with small hands to do difficult work. And the ODA is also this, this but it exists all over the world, and they, uh, they're very evil, evil people. And uh, Hamish X and his friends have to overcome them to, in, in the books. And they're also cheese pirates who are uh, in the first book, where they're going from cheese factory to cheese factory, stealing the great cheeses and cheese masters. And uh, the, they uh, take one of these cheese uh, making facilities is uh, in northern Manitoba in the Arctic, and they make caribou blue cheese from the milk of caribou. And it's all run by children and their evil overlord, Viggo Schmatz. And uh, so they're, they're kidnapped by the cheese pirates and Hamish and his friends have to overcome these cheese pirates. It's quite fun. I, I, I like, I just, I model it after books like, you know, James the Giant Peach. And I love those stories that are dark. So, that, you know, that, that's my preference. And the Willoughby's, you play twins. You play the youngest uh, of the Willoughby clan. Uh, there's the Jane and Tim, the older kids. And then they, by the time the parents, who aren't very nice people, uh, finally get around to having twins, they don't even bother to give them separate names. They just call them the Barnabys, which I thought was very funny. Well, they're very funny and they're kind of, we recorded, we recorded them, of course, at the same time. And they're, they make noises. They kind of run around in the background. They're always doing something. They're little kind of inventors. Mm -hmm. And uh, Chris Pern, who is the director and the, the mind behind the whole thing, he and I worked together on Cloudy with a Chance of Beatballs, the series. And uh, so he tapped me to do these brothers because we did weird... Uh, meatballs is a very weird property as well. So... Uh, <laughs> We he has a great sense of humor and a very and a lot of that kind of weird quirkiness is his mind, and uh, the Barnabys are kind of a great manifestation of that. Uh, they're the youngest; they only have one sweater uh, that they share back and forth. Uh, they build zeppelins. They they are, they're constantly muttering. I, I kind of love that. You're listening to my interview with the Willoughby star Sean Cullen. And you're just in a studio by yourself. With the director yep. on the other side of on another the other side of the glass, I always think that it feels 
as an actor that it might be really kind of disconnected because there's no other right. actors to play off of. How do you work around that? This I had to do all by myself because the, the cast is so like Will Forte and Maya, uh, Maya Rudolph and Terry Crews, and they're all doing lots of things. So you can't get them all in one studio for the, to record for days on end. So you're going to do it separately. And so you just have to kind of imagine you're talking to people. Uh, this was more easy because they're not, they don't engage with people. People don't have long conversations with the Barnabies. They just kind of make noises and interject and cause trouble. And so they're kind of their own entity. They talk to each other. They don't really talk to other people. So it's a little easier that way. But uh, I prefer when we get on something like meatballs, we were all in the room together and we have that kind of improvisational Right. We could improvise, and then the the animation would come afterwards, and so that was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Animation. Uh, I always thought that there would be no room for improv because it it is so rigid. But I. It, but apparently, you can you can have fun with it. Well, it's fun. I think in the old days it was all about the artists, and and it is. I mean, a big part of it is about the artists. Draw and people are drawing it, but now with computer animation and flash animation. A lot of the time we do the recording beforehand and then the animation is matched and then they come back and say, we need this dialogue and then we add it. So it's not like, and I've always been annoyed by, first of all, Mrs. Doubtfire is a ridiculous movie that makes no sense. But the very beginning of Mrs. Doubtfire shows Robin Williams in a recording studio voicing a cartoon and he's watching the cartoon and then adding in his own things and ad-libbing and getting in trouble for it. And you're like, this never happens. Like this is, this isn't the process. It would never happen this way. Uh, and everything about Mrs. Doubtfire never would happen this way. I mean, you know, if you know anything about makeup and you're like, he's running into the bathroom and then doing full prosthetic makeup on himself and then coming out in five minutes. It makes no sense to me, but he's a charming and uh, beloved performer. That was my interview with Sean Cullen. You can see his work in The Willoughbys on Netflix. Next up, I'll introduce you to Kathy Reichs. She is the incredibly successful author of the Bones series of books. Remember Temperance Brennan from the TV show Bones? Well, this is her real-life counterpart. We check in with her from South Carolina. I ask her how she's doing in self-isolation. Well, I am in isolation with my two daughters and four grandkids. Oh, wow. But it's a big house. We're down at my beach house. I haven't left the house since, I don't know, sometime in the 1993, I think it was. So it's good. It's like communal. It is communal living. And I'm getting a lot of writing done. Well, good. I was going to ask you about that. You're in Charlotte, North Carolina now, are you? Is right now, I am on a barrier island off of Charleston, South Carolina. Right. Now, if you look out the window, do you see people on the beach? Do you see people social distancing? Do you see people doing all the things they're meant to do? No. The beaches are closed. Um, let me, it's a little confusing. The island is closed, but the beaches are open. So technically residents can go out on the beach, but nobody who's a non-resident is supposed to be coming onto the island. So the beaches are very, very empty. You can, you can see behind me, that's, my, that's a shot my daughter took of, of the beach here. 
Beautiful. Now you're in you're in isolation. Uh, writing is a solitary job, anyway. Uh, are you finding a, a great deal of difference in your day to day in terms of your life as a writer? Well, I have four grandkids here. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I don't have when I'm at my home in Charlotte. Um, what I do is I try to get up early, and uh, the kids are in school all day. They're in virtual school. So they're pretty busy. They're with their moms um, on computer and doing lessons and doing Zoom with their teachers. So really, we all are just going to work and going to school. We're just doing it at home. Now, how are the kids responding to this? Are they young enough that it seems kind of cool maybe to do it? Or are they bored teenagers that, are, <laughs> that have had enough of it already? Yeah, they range uh, from the, the oldest is nine, the youngest is four. So they're middle, middle-sized kids. Um, and fortunately, we can take them out and run them on the beach. So, or put them on bicycles and have them, you know, go up and down the, the street in back of us. Um, they may be getting a little bit antsy, but um, so far, so good. And, and they, they do, they are in school all day. It's amazing how much uh, distance learning uh, the parents are expected to do. I had to do it for three days. Uh, my daughter was gone. I had to do it for three days for the third grader. And it's like, I don't get this math. What? <laughs> um, now, you were about to launch this book when all of this happened. You were booked to be on my television show here in, in Toronto. Uh, I'm sure speaking engagements, press all over the place. So that all got wiped out. Uh, the book is out, nonetheless. They, 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 they have released the book. Uh, but you did something cool, I thought, on your blog. You did a virtual book tour where you walked people through uh, your, your office. And I found it really fascinating. I always find it fascinating. One of the things I kind of love about a lot of what's happened now is we're seeing how people live more because they're broadcasting from their homes and that kind of thing. And uh, I found your office to be kind of whimsical <laughs> there are lots of kind of interesting things and i and i wondered if it's because so often what you're writing about has a dark edge to it that you like to have these mood lighteners in the in the room with you it may be and the the art that i have in my office is quite different from what's in the rest of that house right yeah there's uh, the, the giraffe that has all the bling i love her i got her from a gallery in spain by an artist tom's drags who's in germany um i've got another sculpture that's a very odd looking thing if you saw it so yeah sometimes when i look up i just like to look especially at the giraffe because she has these very long eyelashes and all this bling going on i do i like to just look up and it makes me smile can it be difficult to shut it off at the end of the day if you've spent a day writing about someone getting their face eaten off by a feral <laughs> hog uh is it difficult sometimes to let that go not really. And I think, it, you know, it's a skill I developed doing the actual work when you would leave the forensic lab, the autopsy room or a crime scene or whatever. You know, you've got to be able to leave it behind and shut it off. You're listening to my interview with a Conspiracy of Bones author, Kathy Wright. And this book is partially, and I found this fascinating, I'm always looking for a little Canadian connection when I can. You've spent a great deal of time in Montreal and in Canada, uh, but this book was partially inspired by a case that you worked on in Ottawa. Can you tell us a little bit about that without giving away anything that we shouldn't give away? 
Yeah, what I do is I take uh, from a case just some core idea, a nugget of an idea, and then I change it around. And in this case, I had worked on the uh, a journalist was murdered and her body was thrown in the woods and it was scavenged by bears in that case. So that by the time she was found, it was months later and the scavenging, um, the body was in very bad shape. So I took that core idea of, uh, okay, what if we have a body scavenged by wild animals and then, you know, spit, ask myself, well, what if this and what if that, and then spin it off into, into fiction. I changed the bears to feral hogs because we do have those in North Carolina. Right. And do you find uh, that uh, you have a little, you know, I, I've heard that writers often have like a, a drawer and they'll be like on the back of a matchbook or on a, on a sticky note, it'll say uh, feral pigs. And then you put it in the drawer and eventually if you're starting to feel a bit of a block, you just go through the drawer. Actually, I do. It's, it's a folder. It's called Future Stories. And if I see a newspaper clipping or something, I'll cut it out and I'll put it in there. Or if I read an article in one of our professional journals or see a presentation at one of our professional meetings, I'll you know, maybe jot down some notes or photocopy the article and stick it in there. Now, one of the themes that I, I thought was really interesting that was drawn out of this book is, uh, and this would not have existed really when you started writing these books in 1997, uh, but it, it's the idea that via blogs, information that we put out into the world isn't vetted. I mean, we, people are pretty much free to say anything that they want. And it becomes difficult then to uh, separate fact from fiction to know what's real. So we live in a time where we have phrases like alternative facts and that kind of thing. You are a person of science. You are a person who has uh, always spent uh, 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 what I imagine is a great deal of time to make sure that your books are accurate to the science that's involved in that kind of thing. Um, obviously it's something that you're thinking about. It's on your mind, this new world that we live in. Is that where the idea from that came from? Is it something that concerns you? Yeah, absolutely. And you put your finger on the theme of the book is how does the average reader or listener or viewer sort through all of that information and disinformation that's out there because as you say anybody can put anything out there and you know what's fake news and what's real and it doesn't just come from you know crackpot conspiracy theorists it can come from people in authority <laughs> so how do you know what is true and what is not true and that is the theme of the book on two levels yes because tempe is also having some issues some health issues and she's experiencing some migraine headaches and things like that and at one point she loses all of her data she's trying to get this faceless corpse identified and all she has left to rely on is what's in her head and for the first time ever she can't fully trust her own perceptions. So how does she know what's real and what's not real on a personal level? And then on a broader societal level, that's also the theme of the story. You're listening to my interview with the author of A Conspiracy of Bones, a new bestseller. Her name is Kathy Reichs. We start by finding out exactly how much of Temperance Brennan is based on her real life. Well, some of it is. Um, the bar part about her having the cerebral aneurysm is, I mean, I was diagnosed with one a couple of years, several years ago. Um, 
very serendipitously, no symptoms or anything. They were looking at something else and said, oh, by the way, you have this little bubble on your artery. It was corrected, no big deal. So I decided to share that with my character. Um, her casework, her professional life, obviously, were, were mirror images of each other. But she's got things in her personal life that are strictly her own, her contentious relationship with Andrew Ryan, you know, her daughter off in the, the army, that kind of thing. That's all Tempe. People also tell me we share the same sense of humor. Right. So I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> How do you keep her evolving and changing? I mean, you've been, you've been writing about her since 1997. Um, there are not that many, just to my estimation anyway, there's not that many characters that have remained this popular it's 19 books. It's, 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 you know, decades of, of work. How do you keep her fresh? Well, you have to, as you, you use the word, you have to keep her evolving. Um, in each book, she's got to be facing different challenges and addressing them in different ways. And that's the main storyline, of course, is always the murder. I write good old fashioned murder mysteries, thrillers. Um, so that's your main, and the bottom line of my books is a good story. So that's gotta be different in, in every book, but also she's gotta be facing personal challenges and meeting different ones in different books and evolving relationships with other people in in different books in the course of the series as you say it's a good old-fashioned murder story and dateline is always in the top five uh on the the television ratings we are fascinated by documentaries about uh, crime and true crime what is it what is it about that genre that appeals to us is it that we it's like, uh, I almost often think about it, like going to see a scary movie. Like really, why would you want to go be scared, have that kind of oogie feeling that you get, but you go see it in a movie theater, a place where you're safe and you're seeing something kind of horrifying and it gets your endorphins going. I don't know if it's the same in, in books. Well, maybe you're vicariously experiencing this other world of evil that yeah. is fascinating uh, and yet, you don't really have to be in the autopsy room. You don't really have to be at the crime scene. And yet you can experience that. You can learn something about it. I think with my books, people like to learn a little something and from the science. And they're different from traditional mysteries in that the solution is um, science-driven. So in each of the books, I use a different kind of science. Um, and I, I'm committed to keeping it accurate um, because if people read about I don't know, blood spatter pattern analysis they, and think they've learned something. Well, they have. Hopefully I've gotten it correct. You've got to keep it short and entertaining and jargon free, but hopefully um, it's, also, it's also correct. I think that's part of the appeal. I think the other part of the appeal of a murder mystery is, is trying to figure it out. It's like a puzzle. Can I figure out what happened and who done it? Um, who's the bad guy or girl uh, before the author tells me? And I know if I read a murder mystery and I figure it out before the end, um, I'm a little disappointed in the author because right. I like that twist. I like that, oh, I didn't see that coming at the end. You talk about the accuracy in your books. In the video, the virtual book tour, we see the bookshelf behind you 
and directly where you sit, from my estimation anyway, this is what it looked like to me. You've got your writing area and then you could just turn around and pick up a book on blood splatter uh, right away. So, <laughs> or, or whatever. <laughs> yes, if people ever check my office, well, if people ever check the hard drive on my computer, I'm in big trouble. <laughs> One of the things we learn about in this book is the dark web. You know, so I spent time going down into the dark web and, Did you? you know, visiting sites that normally I wouldn't, uh, wouldn't visit. So the dark web for people that don't know is uh, a place where if you want to buy a human hand or uh, what, illegal drugs or whatever it might be, it's the place that you go. But it's not, well, what, what exactly is the dark web? Explain what it is. It, it's not just Google. It, you don't Google the dark web and end up over there. Well, that's the whole point is it's, it's the web, which is much larger than the normal surface web, the www. It's enormous, but it's not accessed by normal browsers. You've got to use a special browser to go, which anybody can download. It's, but you can't get there through Firefox or Safari. Or Did you find anything there that you found truly shocking? Well, <laughs> it's hard to shock me. <laughs> I've done a lot of research on a lot of... Um, nasty topics, shall we say, for different books. And also, you know, working in a forensic lab and seeing that swirl around me all the time, mm. I'm pretty much aware of what humans can do to other humans. So it's pretty hard to shock me. You're listening to my interview with a Conspiracy of Bones author, Kathy Reichs. What is your ratio of work, uh, maybe not right at this moment because uh, it's a it's a different world that we're in for the next who knows how long, but in, in a regular day to day way uh, between your work as an author and then your work as a as a forensic scientist. Well, there came a point uh, where I was writing an adult book every year, Temperance Brennan. I was writing a young adult book, a Tory Brennan book, the viral series. I did six of those with my son. And I was writing a screenplay for the show, for Bones. So there came a point where it was just too much and I had to give up something. So I'm not really doing any active forensic work anymore. I'm not going into a lab on a regular basis. I'm available if they need me, but yeah, so that much I'm, that part of me is, is done. Do you miss it? I do, but you know, I was always kind of caught in this quandary if I was, writing a book and I have a deadline for the book I'm, and then I get a call from the lab to come in. I think, well, I don't have time for this. But then if weeks would go by and I wouldn't get a call, I think, what the heck? Why, why isn't the lab calling? Why don't I have any casework? So I was never happy, I guess. <laughs> uh, could you have imagined when you wrote Deja Dead, uh, you started that in 1994, is that right? You went around there? Yeah. So you started writing that book. Could you have imagined that all these years later, we would be sitting here talking about the new book in, in this series? You know, it crosses your mind. And then as a first time, completely unknown novelist, I'd never written any fiction. You know, then you'd say to yourself, well, come on, get real. You know, maybe you'll, you will finish this book, but maybe somebody will actually publish it. And then maybe somebody will actually read it and like it. Um, and that's really, that was my goal um, at that point. So I didn't, you know, it would cross my mind, but it, it didn't really seem like a reality that would take Well, place. you had written a couple of textbooks, which even you said, nobody read them, nobody bought them. The, my students did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and my colleagues and, you know, they were 
big in forensic anthropology, which is a very small market. So yeah, they did not make the New York Times lists or the Globe and Mail or anything. No, none of those. Yeah. Uh, so one last question, pandemic related, I guess. Uh, do you have any hand washing tips? You've got little kids in the house, you've got older people in the house. Uh, do, do you all sing happy birthday? Do you make sure that you clean your thumbs? Because that's apparently the part that a lot of people miss. Is there any tips you can give us? Gosh, I don't. I mean, I mean, I do all those things. You you wash longer, and you, you know, you do that thing where you scrape your fingernails. Yep. And I've also stopped wearing any rings, any jewelry on my hand, because you know, like your fingernails, you know, things can collect in there. So I've stopped doing that. I guess that would be the only tip I might add. But just wash your hands frequently. And we did manage to score. My daughter just, I don't know, through mail order, Amazon or whatever, she did manage to just score four bottles of. Um, sanitizer right so we're, we're good with that we're using that yeah i think that that the demand for that has slowed a little bit people aren't hoarding it anymore that was the the issue is that people were going in and buying yeah. 45 bottles of it at a time yeah. because now as i sit here in toronto um if i do leave the house i can go walk around and find all the toilet paper and purell and all that other stuff that was missing for so long we keep putting toilet paper on our orders we haven't gotten any yet so. really <laughs> yeah well I, I can send you some from from toronto <laughs> 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 kathy thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me uh, today. thank you that was my interview via zoom with kathy reich she is the best-selling author of a conspiracy of bones it's the latest edition of the temperance brennan novels there's 18 other books there was the television show bones uh fascinating stuff really cool to get some insight into the real person behind the real cases that make up that fictional series well that's it for this week uh, we've been doing these interviews via zoom if you haven't checked out Zoom yet, uh, give it a go. It's a great way to stay in contact with the people that you love if you are in self-isolation and can't get around to see everybody. I'm Richard Krause. My thanks to Sean Cullen and Kathy Reichs for stopping by via Zoom to spend some time with us. My biggest thanks, though, goes to you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that you're staying safe. I hope that you're staying happy. I hope you're staying healthy and that you're staying home. We'll talk again soon.